VoiceOver describes what's happening on your iPhone screen. VoiceOver on settings. So you can navigate it just by listening. Books, contacts, calendar, double tap to open. Breakfast with Anna from 10 to 11. And get on with your day. Accessibility. There's more to iPhone. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. Hello and welcome back to the Game Podcast. I am Hugh Wizencroft today alongside Tom Allnutt, uh, Alison Rudd and Gregor Robertson. The Battle of Britain, it was dubbed by the tabloids, not me. Uh, Wales against England at the World Cup went in England's favour as many expected a comfortable 3-0 win, although there are question marks over the performance. Uh, Before we get our reaction to it, our very own Tom Roddy was at the game. Here are his thoughts. I'd say it was a a very encouraging performance for England. If not requiring that much effort, maybe. They never really had to get out of first gear to sort of use that cliche because I don't think Wales were, were really at it tonight. The, the thing is for England, they, they've topped the group. They end with nine goals, two conceded, seven points. It's, it's, it's really positive um, going into the knockouts. And, and I think that was a really important part of tonight. There are two points I make. One is that they've got momentum going into the knockouts, which is hugely, hugely important, especially after you consider the fact their last game ended with them being booed off the field. And tonight you had lots of applauding from the fans. Southgate, you're the one being sung by the fans who were in very good spirits, unsurprisingly. And the, the, the second point of make, which is also a significant one tonight, is the fact that you've got... Phil Foden and Marcus Rashford coming into this match and being instrumental in the result and and really quite deadly, both of them, especially Rashford in that second half, really quite deadly. And and that that brings so many options for England going into the knockouts. It means that Gareth Southgate has such quality from the bench, regardless of who he picks, because all of these players seem to be in form. So there you have it. That was our On The Whistle report from Tom Roddy, who was at the Ahmad Bin Ali Stadium uh, out here in Qatar. Um, I disagree with so many things that Tom said, but I'm going to let you all go first. OK, on, on, on that England performance, maybe we should start with you, Greg. You didn't have, you know, you didn't have a foot in either camp. So go on then. Was it as, as bright as what Tom Roddy reflected on? No. I'm with you here, I think. <laughs> Look, first thing we have to say is that Wales were really, really poor. England looked good after they, they took the lead, which is a lot easier to look good when you're, you, know, you score two quick-fire goals and then you start to look good. Up until then, it was fairly bitty and scrappy, I thought. There was periods of energy. Started the second half with quite a lot of energy. But fundamentally, Wales were just a step, a massive step below England. And... The goals were, I was, again, I've, I've been so frustrated and disappointed with Wales. All the goals were so preventable. The Danny Ward for the first one, well, it was a good strike. It, it wasn't even in the inside netting. 
it's like his legs went from beneath him. He didn't couldn't even spring despite after moving behind the wall. The second goal, Ben Davis gets caught, and then Joe Roden and, and Mepham might as well ush, have ushered the ball from Kane through to to Foden. And then the third one was a ball over the top. I mean, it was being made out afterwards like this was some magical piece of football. It was a ball over the top, and Rashford cut inside. Still, Roden and Mepham didn't come out and close him down. And again, Danny Ward's legs disappeared. So, look, I'm not taking anything away from... There's some, some real positives. I agree with Tom that Rashford, crikey, prior to the World Cup, he hadn't played since the Euros final. Who could have envisaged yeah. this? Who could possibly envisage this? That's a massive, massive positive. And Phil Foden came in and was lively. But I think anyone would have been against this Wales team today. And as it was made out afterwards, you have so many attacking options so much strength on the bench as well. That's your biggest positive, but I personally wouldn't take a great deal from a 3-0 win against a Wales team this poor tonight. So basically my biggest mistake was starting with someone who supports a team that wasn't <laughs> wasn't at the World Cup because clearly he's 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 bitter about it and it's lasted. You know, he's seen two two other home nations playing the game at the World Cup and clearly Gregor it's got to you. Because my word, I mean, I thought I was going to slate it. <laughs> well, look, I, look, I, well, look, I've got to be, I've got to be honest with what I saw. And like, yes, England grew, but you're, as I say, it's easy to be confident and free flowing after you've gone two 0 up because of two mistakes. And up until then, they didn't do a great deal. Marcus Rashford had a good chance in the first half. Wales defended like barely strung three passes together and offered nothing going forward. But they were still, you know, hardly troubled. And then the second half, he started with a bit, bit more energy. Yes, fair enough. But it was until he got the goals. That's that's the only time you saw a good performance. And as I say, it's easy to do that when you're 2-0 up. Alison, has Gregor been harsh there? I mean, he's taken it so far in one direction. Can you bring it back in the other? No, that would be exceptionally foolish of me, wouldn't it? I mean, you could, I think you could make a really good case for saying it's slightly embarrassing it was only 3-0 because England did not... I don't know, it was as if they had um, had their ears to the BBC commentary, which was really trying so hard to hype up what Wales could achieve. I mean, it wasn't even really in Wales's hands. It was a, it was a strange build-up to the game. I suppose they have a duty to try and make it exciting for the viewers and no one wants to be told this is a fait accompli, go and, go and do the uh, spring cleaning instead. But, but it... It, there was there was very little there, and the minute the minute the Wales showed any sense of urgency, I mean they were, must have been told at half time, you know, you're going to have to score four, <laughs> you're going to have to score four. So everyone knew Wales were going to be slightly less defensive, and you know if that's the only moment when England feel emboldened, it's it is slightly embarrassing. And actually, you know, I don't think Hugh that, that Gregor and I are being overcritical. Um, Phil Foden in his post match in interview he did say he felt uh England were a bit shabby in the first half at least so you know it's not it's not that we're being uh too clinical with our analysis it, it from inside the camp from a player who ought to be buzzing also felt the first half was was a bit off but I do I, I think if there was if I was sort of told come on you only you know you're, you're the one giving England their pep talk ahead of the knockout game that, you know, come on, be more positive, I would say. I think there were positives. I think Jordan Henderson, who I think had a lot of negativity around him 
I mean, the fans were clamouring for him. And in fact, the opposite, they didn't want him to come on in the previous game. But I felt he did bring a level of maturity. I think I, I called him in the piece, I wrote an avuncular warrior. And there is that element of, he's not actually the captain, but he acts like the captain. And given there are quite a few young players around him, and there've been a few pieces that we've run in the paper about how he sort of looks after the younger players. I think that was important on the pitch. He sort of gives that sense of we're England and we're going to be brave and be, but also measured. I, I liked that performance. So that's got nothing to do with my love of him as a Liverpool captain. I just genuinely believe he brought a nice sense of balance to the midfield. And he, you know, his presence allows other midfielders to be more expressive. I don't think it's any coincidence that we saw a few flicks from Bellingham because he felt he could be adventurous knowing that Henderson was there. So I would say that's a big positive, that there there felt a sense of balance both in terms of the football and the personality of the the team. Oh, I'll come back on that point on balance. But um, Tom, positivity. Breathe life into this podcast by saying England are going to win the World Cup and football is coming home. Come on. Football is coming home. England are going to win the World Cup for sure. This is, I think it's now my job to be the, the optimist of, of the podcast, which I wasn't expecting, but I'm, I'm happy to take on that role. I actually thought England played, played well in the second half. I, I accept that in the first half, I didn't think it was a, a terrible performance, but I thought it, it was too slow. Um, I thought their attacking players weren't really at their best. I mean, Rashford was almost like a, he was kind of symbolic of the whole performance in general, really. I mean, I thought in the first half, he was actually quite poor. I mean, he had that really good chance, which he missed, uh, and a couple of other really good opportunities, which he didn't quite pick out the right ball. And then in the second half, obviously, that, you know, the free kick, and he just kind of came alive and found his confidence, found space when Southgate switched him and Foden, you know, to, to opposite sides. Um, and, and he was a completely different player, and England were a different team. I mean, I, I guess... You know, it is true, obviously, when you get the opening goal in a game like that, it does change everything. But I, I think as well, if when you set your stall out like Wales did, without the ambition to kind of play with the ball and, and to defend so deep, it's inevitable then that when you concede the goal, it becomes very difficult to turn that, that game around. You know, So I don't think it's necessarily just a matter of, OK, they scored the goal and then after that, they look great. That is kind of what you sign up to if, if you if you play that kind of way like Wales did. They didn't really have anywhere to go. And obviously, Bale went off at half-time. Um, I don't know if kind of psychologically that that kind of damaged them as well. But, you know, I mean, I, I think in terms of the small picture, I accept that Wales are not the kind of litmus test perhaps for England going forward. But I think if we zoom out here, you know, they've Southgate has, has got two or three players now who are informed that he didn't have before the match, you know, he's got Rashford, Foden, both now feeling confident. And obviously the debate in the next few days is going to be, you know, who starts now on Sunday, who, who plays up front alongside Kane. Rashford, in my opinion, is almost undroppable after, you know, you scored two goals like that. You expect, you know, maybe Saka comes back in, but obviously Foden scored and had a part to play in, in winning the free kick. But maybe the actually the, the sort of the kind of bigger picture of that is you now have a squad where you have, and I think that's so important in a World Cup, you have a squad that is happy, There'll be a really good feel in, in, in the camp of the next few days. You haven't got those players. You haven't got games and minutes and haven't played well in those opening couple of games. You know, they're not bringing the mood down now. They're feeling just as chirpy as everyone else. And I think all these things are really important. And, and that's not even to kind of say that the players who haven't played today, who have got, you know, really valuable rest, like Mount, for example, Sterling, uh, Saka, Kane obviously came off just before the hour and got sort of a good 35 minutes rest. So 
I think, you know, if we zoom out a little bit from the, the, the sort of nuts and bolts of the performance, which would was nowhere near what they did in the first game, but equally I think it was better than the second. If we zoom out from that, I think going into the knockout stage, England will feel they're in a in a pretty good place. I should just say quickly, I, I agree with all of that. I'm just saying don't get, as you so often do, get carried away by a 3-0 win against a team that played that poorly. You've cruised into the into the knockout stage. You got an opportunity to to put on so many players in the second half, like give them minutes, increase the competition, changing your left back with Trippier in, in the final fifteen minutes, and even giving Trent a run out. He had the he had the option to do all that all, all these things because you were in a comfortable position. So there's still so much like to be happy and content with. I'm just saying this you you weren't tested tonight at all, Gregor. You know. I'm not going to run away with things. I was in the stadium too, and I've got to say, I watched it. I mean, listen, we start with the team selection. Phil Foden started having a good game. I turned to one of my colleagues and said, if Foden has a great game, is Saka now dropped? Because he's clearly been one that Gareth Southgate thinks is in his best 11. Um, And we all know what a good player Phil Foden is. I'm looking at the midfield. I'm seeing Jordan Henderson and Jude Bellingham pushed on ahead of, of Declan Rice. And I'm like, is this going to be our combination going forward? Is Mason Mount now dropped if Jordan Henderson has a great game? Carl Walker at right back, is he just now first choice in a back four? Um, and Kieran Trippier, what happens to him? Like, I'm watching the game and I'm like, yeah, OK, we might beat Wales and we probably will. By the way, we didn't play fantastically well. I think we all saw that. I don't know what it was like at home, but in the stadium, I mean, people were pretty much raging at, at times in that first half because England looked like they were going nowhere. And obviously, you think, put Wales to the sword. Like, we're seeing players who do not play at the level of the England squad and we're not going for them, especially in an attacking formation. Obviously, they get a healthy, comfortable result in the end. But I think it was one of those where it was always coming. That was always going to come. I don't. It doesn't matter who was on the pitch. But there's part of me that thinks, we've learnt nothing because we are now going to go into the knockout stages and we're probably going to change formation, maybe not for Senegal, but maybe if we reach the quarterfinal, we'll be against the better side. It will probably be a fantastic side. Maybe France in the quarterfinals, um, they'll play a back five. And then what? Turn it on against the best team in the world in a formation that you haven't played yet. Even now, I was at the Senegal-Ecuador game. We're going to hear from Paul Hurst in a bit about that. But I watched that game and went, oh, I mean, on the counter-attack, they could hurt England. They've got so much pace going forward. Their ability, you know, they were very tenacious, very aggressive. Okay, they don't have the quality with the ball that England have. But I watched the start of that USA game in the stadium and I watched the start of the game tonight in the stadium and England started slowly in both. And if they do that against Senegal, they will get punished. Senegal should have been 3-0 up against Ecuador today. They started really, really well. They didn't let their opposition breathe. If they, without Sadio Mane, by the way, but if they take that kind of commitment into a game against England... England could find themselves shocked early on. And that's why I think they probably will play five at the back to, to deal with the counter-attack, to have Carl Walker as part of a back three and use his pace. I'm sorry, on the basis of the last two performances, they are not going to turn it on in this, perform- in this formation, excuse me, let alone a new formation in the next game. And I hate to slate them, seven points, through comfortably as, as top of the group. Um, but they're a team, and this is, I, I turned to Dean Ashton, former England striker who was alongside me to drop a name on the podcast, and basically said, we, we can't give England that many plaudits going forward because they're not going to be the kind of team that wins the tournament. And what we hear after every game where they've played well is, you know, you start saying, oh, are England becoming a side that could go on and, and challenge the best? They play well and people go, yeah, 
yeah, I think they could. I think all they need is one or two adjustments and they'll go and they'll, they can compete with the best in the world. But I did Argentina's game. They had a 36-match unbeaten run. And at the end of it, we went, they probably aren't going to trouble this competition. I did Portugal last night in the stadium. I watched them and went, I don't think that's a team that can win the World Cup. And the reality is, you watch England, even though they've won the game 3-0, and maybe if I go in, in Gregor's camp very, very quickly and pretend to be a Scotland fan, totally neutral, you know, don't care about England at all, either way, positive or negative, totally neutral. I sit back and I go, this is a team that can't win the World Cup. That's all I'm going to say. Uh, that's the end of the rant. Well, well, the one thing, sorry, the one thing you would, I would say to that sorry. is you, you've, gone, you've gone through a lot of teams there saying that none of them can win it, which means that any of them can probably win it. England are one of those teams. I think we have to... France or Brazil. To, France or Brazil. I agree with you. I said it last opinion. night. They are the top, they are the two teams to be shot at. But behind that, there is a group of teams who might just stumble their way. And that even might sound harsh. They might just kind of be obdurate enough or have players, enough quality, of, you know, enough players who can just produce moments that will win them a game. That's all you need to do. England are one of those teams. You have a chance. So that might sound contradictory to what I said before. You absolutely do have a chance because you've got some of the most talented footballers in Europe, in the world, in your team, and some on the bench too. If they turn up, if you're playing play a way that you can, there's a decent foundation for them to go and express themselves, you've absolutely got a chance. And I actually agree with Alison. I think the midfield tonight is possibly a balance between saying, right, let's go back to three at the back or let's play with another man, another man in midfield, i.e. Henderson, who is, will put in the yards defensively and even Bellingham as the number 10. Again, that's another thing you would never have imagined a few months ago, that Bellingham might be the, the player who's, okay, eight and a half maybe, or the 10, you know, the more, most advanced player in that group. And he's still a workhorse. So that might be the, that might be the makeup. And it still gives you the opportunity to have another sort of attacking player on the pitch. Ultimately, you've got a chance. You have a chance. I'm just saying Wales are really bad and I was very disappointed. I'm sure you can gather that. <laughs> Tom, you've been waiting to respond. Go ahead. No, I mean, I, 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 I take some of the uh, the points that you make. I mean, I, I don't, I'm not saying at all that England are suddenly, you know, favourites to win the tournament. I don't think anything has really necessarily changed since, you know, in these last three games, we know that France and probably Brazil are a step ahead, that England are probably in that second bracket in the sort of top five teams that maybe with a bit of luck and a bit of a headwind could maybe go far and, and then you never know. I mean, the one thing I would say is, you know, that they you don't need to win the tournament in, in the first three games. You know, I, I think it's, I accept what you're saying, Hugh, that, you know, maybe uh, we haven't seen a team yet playing like a team that looks like they're going to win the World Cup. But maybe you wouldn't have said that about France four years ago either. I mean, I, you know, often we have, I think this tournament, you know, people teams often grow and they have momentum and things, you know, change players coming in and out of form and, and, you know, a little bit of luck in the knockout stages can make all the difference. I don't necessarily think that in the groups you have to show your best form. And in fact, maybe there's an argument to say it's better that you don't. And I also think particularly in this World Cup, when we've already seen a lot of inconsistency from from the top teams, you know, from game to game on the back of a very, very uh, compact, demanding schedule. I think it's very possible that, that certain teams will get better and better as the tournament goes on. Also, having only had a week's preparation before the tournament, I think more games, more training time, uh, more uh, time together as a squad, all these things. Could, we could see more than ever in a tournament teams grow or get worse or get better, you know, and I think... Also, with the, with the with the element of fatigue, you know, we're going to see squads be more than more important than ever. So there's going to be this huge debate about who should start in what position. Fine, but actually, the most important thing probably for England tonight is they now have 
four or five options in, in, their, in their front positions that can come off the bench in the second half in, after 55 minutes and come on and feel like they can really impact the game. They're no longer sort of looking to prove themselves to to necessarily, you know, the press and to, and to, and to cement their own starting spot. They're going, to, you know, coming on, having made a, already made an impact in the tournament. I think that's a really important thing. So, yes, I, I, I completely agree with you that there are other teams who have looked better. I don't think it's necessarily saying anything new to, to, to think that England aren't the best team in the world. But equally, I think they're probably in a better position now than they were, were three games ago going into the knockout stage when we came into this tournament thinking that England weren't really in, a, in great form, weren't in a great position. Uh, the morale wasn't very high. Lots of question marks around Southgate. I think they're in a better position now than they were then, and and they would probably have taken um, what they put out in the group stage going into the into the last sixteen. I think I think one interesting thing to come out of the changes that were made for the game against Wales is where do we think this leaves Raheem Sterling, who I I don't think came into the World Cup in the best form. Really, he had a couple of glimpses of brilliance for Chelsea but but not not too many and I I think overall people feel he's a player that Southgate feels is is you know good in an England shirt and a reliable talent for England but I think if you were to line them all up and assess what they've done simply from the start of the tournament I I would say he's in the pecking order for the forwards for England He's, he's got to be at the bottom and I wonder if Southgate, I do wonder if Southgate has the emotional intelligence to handle that properly because I just think it would look odd for him to be in the starting lineup after what we've seen so far. Does anyone agree with that? Yeah, I agree. I mean, I, I think now he's behind Rashford for sure. He's behind Saka and he's behind Foden, isn't he? I mean, I think he's, he's fourth choice, certainly. And you might even say behind Grealish as well. I don't think you can call it. I don't think, I don't think we can get inside yeah, this mind. I think if Tom was here, he probably would try. But there's every chance he'll turn to his tried and tested. Can I just say, if Harry Maguire's form didn't matter, Raheem, Raheem Sterling's form doesn't matter. If you can look at what Harry Maguire has done over the last two years and think, Do you know what, I still trust this guy to start for me at a World Cup, then he still trusts Raheem Sterling. That's all I'm going to say. But on, they, they are different. They're different comparisons. I mean, I'm I'm saying let's take the World Cup in Qatar, take that evidence. And on that that evidence alone, you could say Maguire's done okay. He's looked quite confident and he's brought confidence to the back line. He hasn't made them jittery. He hasn't been a liability as many people thought he would. But since since the start of the World Cup in Qatar, I, I, don't, I just don't think so you think can draw the same game. conclusions. But you, you now think he's a manager that cares about form, but he hasn't so often. He hasn't picked players either for the squad on form or in his starting 11 on form. And now you're saying three games no, at the World Cup is enough no. for him what to I'm care saying, about form. No, what I'm saying is you're a different manager. You have to be a different manager. The, the one who is preparing for a tournament, qualifying for the tournament, then preparing for the tournament, spending every night of your life in a, a different stadium in the country, watching and watching and watching and watching relentless games that you have no influence upon at all, minutes played that you have no influence on at all, the positioning of players you have no influence on. And at last, and then you, you sort of work with that because your target is to get the, get to the World Cup in reasonable shape and you do what you need to do. And if that's being conservative and banking on loyalty, then you do that. But once you're there, 
And, you know, we, we are finding things out, you know, the conditions, no one knew what the conditions would be like, what the style of play would like be like, that there would be so many upsets that teams way down the rankings would look a lot better than we thought they would. It's a different thing altogether from preparing for this tournament and getting there. Now, you know, he's not stupid, Southgate. Any reasonable, intelligent bloke knows that you now have to bear in mind what is unfolding in front of your very eyes. You can't, at this juncture, you can't be... I, don't, I, I mean, I'm not even sure conservative is the right word. I don't think it's conservatism, but I, don't, I just don't think he could possibly be that blinkered. I mean, he has people around him who are watching the games with him and giving him feedback and giving him the stats. I just think of all the things he could do now the most peculiar would be to start Sterling. OK, let's take Sterling out of it then. Very quickly going to ask you, two of these players to start, one on the bench. Saka, Foden, Rashford. Alison? I would definitely start Saka um, on evidence scene and I would start Rashford for attitude and buoyancy. And I'm only dropping Foden because I, he's shone against a very, 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 very weak Wales team. And, you know, it's no big deal him coming off the bench, is it? It's fine. But I, I, I think dropping Saka, because I think he's been consistent for his club and country for quite a while now. That's what I do. Gregor? I would start Rashford because he is he's flying high. And sometimes one player doing that in a tournament can can have an enormous difference. And I don't honestly believe that there is an argument that is more coherent for either Foden or Saka than the other. I think that that's down to Gareth Southgate. I think he could play either of them. And I would be happy if he played either of them because they're both brilliant players. As I said before, you have so many players. I don't think there's much of a step down to Grealish. I remember I was watching this game again thinking, Grealish could come around here and hold the ball and dribble and carry the ball forward. He'd get you up the pitch when you when you look at a team struggling to do these things to make something happen, Grealish comes to your mind. I don't have an answer for you for that one, Hugh. I'm sorry, but Rashford's played his way into the team. Tom, yeah, Rashford has to play, no doubt. I think you know he's got the the confidence now, the momentum. I agree that sometimes in tournaments you just have to react to, to what you see. You know, in the last you know couple of games, sometimes that can be invaluable. You know, a player just suddenly feels that the moment and I think Rashford now is that you have the potential for that you know and I think he has to play I agree with the other two I think it's it's very marginal I, I wouldn't feel like you you, you know you, you start one bring the other on for the last half an hour I think probably Saka deserves to start I think on the basis of, he was excellent in the first game and I think on the basis of his, of his form coming into the World Cup as well I mean he's had such a fantastic season I think probably those are the two that, that I would go with but as I said I don't think there's that much between Ferdinand and Saka Let's talk about the other game in this group very, very quickly, which obviously we had all eyes on the, the England game. So we're not going to lie to you and pretend that we watched the entirety of the United States against Iran. But I do want to say I watched the last sort of 10 minutes. Physicality was definitely there. Iran were doing absolutely everything. And really, I just want to say the United States, in terms of them going through, also unbeaten, is quite a big achievement. They played England. There's a hugely politically charged game against Iran, which they've managed to win by a goal to nil as well. I just wondered if any of you had a view on what they might be able to do in this tournament. Because, I, you know, they're going to play the Netherlands next, which is not an easy game. Do you think they will give them uh, a run for their money, if you like? 
I think the problem for the US is is they don't have a, a goal scorer you can rely on. And I hope Pulisic is, is fit, because if he's not, then that's a problem as well. But I, I can't speak too highly of their sheer athleticism and making the most of the resources they have. And I have, as you may know from previous podcasts, I have a soft spot for Tim Ream. And that man has not put a foot wrong. Not only does he defend intelligently, but his distribution remains marvellous. And he brings a calming influence to a young team. That might be the ingredient that, you know, the, the US thinking, thank goodness, thank goodness we made a U-turn on him because they weren't even going to take him to start with. And now he's probably first name on the team sheet. I think they could cause Holland problems. Uh, Gregor and I are not entirely sure that Holland have a full 90 minutes in them. So there, there will be, they can be porous, I think, against a determined team. And in a weird way, I will be rooting for the US because they, I mean, they're the US, but they are the underdogs. And I feel the people who play soccer in America are sort of like the quirky ones, the ones who get teased when they're little. And I want to support their decision to go down the football route. Yeah, I often feel like the Americans that like soccer are the ones that uh, were the last to be picked on the playground for the other sports. And they just said, I'm just going to. So, yeah, I kind of I want them to do well as well. But yeah, I think it is a very difficult game against the Netherlands, who I should say uh, had a comfortable victory over the host Qatar today. Cody Yakpo, once again, uh, on the score sheet. And I think a lot of people now queuing up for his signature. Of course, Manchester United uh, tried to sign him previously. Frankie de Jong scored in that game as well. I think it was always going to be a victory for the Dutch, who uh, yeah faced the United States next, which is a pretty interesting fixture. Um, I think we'll all be watching that because... Um, yeah, I, I actually couldn't call that at this point in time. I don't think the Netherlands are necessarily as good as uh, what their history suggests. So I think that is quite an even contest. One of those two teams will, of course, make it through uh, to the last eight. And yeah, we will see. As you're listening to me, Daisy, Apple's iPhone disassembly robot, is dismantling an iPhone into lots of recyclable parts. That's how Apple recovers more materials than conventional recycling methods. Thanks, Daisy. There's more to iPhone. Also in the same group as the Netherlands, a little bit earlier on today, finished Ecuador 1, Senegal 2. The Times' Paul Hurst was in the stadium watching. Uh, it's a bit of a surprising result from my point of view. I always thought that the Ecuador would would go through um, as second place just because they played really well against Holland in their last fixture. But tonight, they they just didn't turn up really. They were, they were so defensive. Uh, they needed a draw to get through and they were playing for a draw from from the first minute really, just trying to, trying to uh, waste time. A couple of players went down injured uh, or needing treatment in the first half and they really milked that to try and run the clock down and just just get a nil-nil draw. And it really backfired because Senegal was so so aggressive, so dominant in midfield. Ismail Assar was uh, fantastic on the wing, on the left wing. And Senegal should have been 2-0 up really early on. Uh, they ended up going 1-0 up just before half-time. Uh, Ismail Assar scored a penalty after being brought down in the box. Uh, Moses Caicedo got one back for... Ecuador just um, halfway through the second half, but only two minutes later, Senegal scored again. Um, it was Khalidou Kalabali, of all people, uh, on his 67th cap, scored his first goal for his country. And 
they deserved it. And I, I think they will cause England trouble in the round of 16. I did their first match against Holland and they looked really, really short up front. They didn't really have, any, uh, have a proven goal scorer. Obviously, they missed Sadio Mane. But tonight, they looked a bit more threatening and they will create chances. Uh, they're very quick on the wings, uh, very strong in midfield. And Koulibaly was fantastic in defence tonight. Every time the Ecuador got an overlap down the wing, he was there mopping up. He was uh, imperious in the air, winning all his headers. So I don't think it'll be a walk in the park for for England against Senegal in the next round. Um, they've never played each other before, so that adds a little bit more intrigue into it. And Ali Cissé said that whoever will, um, whoever they play, that they'll be confident of winning. Kalidou said afterwards that whoever whoever Senegal play in the rest of the tournament, they'll be a little bit afraid because of what. Uh, of what they can do, about what of what weapons they've got, particularly going forward. So it should be a, an interesting round of sixteen tie. Oh, thanks to Paul Hurst there. Um, and yeah, it was a it was a pretty fun game inside the Khalifa International. The atmosphere was absolutely incredible. I was sitting just above the Senegalese fans. They will make an incredible noise throughout that game against England. They just did not stop singing, dancing, playing the drums, and it provided the the soundtrack I think for their teams. At victory this afternoon um, and it was a good one to be perfectly honest on the break not the best team in the world obviously that final ball wasn't always coming but actually earlier on in the, early on in that game Senegal had a few very very good chances it was one of those where you think there's just a force with them at this point in time you felt that throughout the game I felt even when Ecuador scored it was almost like oh it was from a set piece it was basically against the run of play and uh, Koulibaly scored at the other end straight away. And after that point in time, you thought, yeah, that's it. You know, it was in it was in the balance for about 90 seconds. And you thought Senegal, is de- they're definitely going to see this through. I felt very comfortable that they would get the victory. Ecuador, Hursty's right, never really showed up. I was really disappointed with them. I thought it was going to be a 4-3, a 3-all type fixture. But yeah, I think there were a few impressive players out there on the pitch. What do you think, Gregor? Yeah, I mean, there's a lot of, you know, recognisable Premier League-based players, but there's also two of the best players in the Championship on either wing. Hursty mentioned uh, Ismail Assar uh, of, of Watford, and you know he's spent time in the Premier League too. But on the other wing, Ilman and has has had a fascinating journey to the to the World Cup. Plays for Sheffield United now in the Championship, and I absolutely believe he'll be in the Premier League by the summer, with or without Sheffield United. It might be with them because they're doing well this year, but he's a real determined, crafty. Uh, hard-working and creative player and he's he's got an eye for a goal as well but he's had a great journey, great story by 16 he'd moved from France to Senegal to London he was rejected by lots of clubs in, in England ended up at Boreham Wood got a move to Sheffield United, spent time on loan at Hyde United so he's no stranger to non-league football in England and that was, a, that was like as recently as 2020 and Actually got a bit of stroke of fortune with Paul Heckenbottom replacing Chris Wilder. And Paul Heckenbottom had worked with him in the Sheffield United Academy, put him in the team, and he's not looked back. And he only made his debut for Senegal just before the World Cup, a few months before the World Cup. And now he's played his way into the team, got an assist last, last game. Now he's playing against England, likely to play against England in the in the last 16. So it's a great story. And, and he's someone that England will have to watch out for, I think. Yeah, well, England against Senegal in the last 16 uh, is one which I don't think is as straightforward as maybe many people will see on paper. 
uh, yeah, we'll see exactly how that one goes. It's going to be an interesting World Cup tie as they meet for the first time, uh, as Hursty pointed out. Um, before we go, I, I, look, we got through the day's events in terms of what happened on the pitch, but I do want to just give some credit here. The reason that I didn't bring it up a little bit earlier on is because I thought it would have just added to all of that negativity on Wales. Can we just give some credit here to a man who was substituted at halftime after just seven touches? That's not the story of his career for in a Wales shirt. He's been absolutely sensational. Gareth Bale, we know what remarkable things he's done for his country. Aaron Ramsey was out there. Joe Allen as well. We don't know if they will continue for their country. Chris Gunter didn't get on the pitch, I don't think, but um, has had a remarkable career, always shown up for his country, amassed so many caps as well. Um, but Bale, of course, is the big headliner. This is it. If this is it, how will we remember him in a Welsh shirt? I would hate for us to think, you know, uh, he bowed out with the whimper that he did at this World Cup. But I mean, on the other hand, players do cling on sometimes for far too long. And I, I, I was as hopeful as anyone that the fairy tale would work, that his preparation in America would work and he would find some degree of fitness that was just good enough to allow him to weave some magic on the pitch. But it it wasn't. And it was quite telling in the preamble on the coverage on the BBC. They did a... They pre-recorded an interview with Bale and behind him they had this depressing piano sonata <laughs> as he spoke throughout his interview and it was like I doubt anyone even questioned that that was the right thing to do it just sounded like we all know this isn't going to go very well Wales aren't going to progress you're not going to shine it that there was an experiment that was fingers crossed and they did not work but prior to that I think given he was a Galactico, given the riches at his disposal and the adulation he did have before they fell out of love with him at Real Madrid, I think what anyone connected to Wales will know is that he always, always put Wales first. And, you know, some some superstars don't, especially when it's a small country, you know, they treat it a bit like a hobby and can't be bothered turning up sometimes. Um, but, but everything you hear about the way he interacted with young, inexperienced teammates, really, really wanting his country to do well and prepared to play when not fully fit. I mean, commendable attitude to his country. So it's sad that it sort of ended with a whimper, but it won't, it won't affect what Wales fans think of him. It's just, it was just one, one, one bit of the fairy tale couldn't quite work. Yeah, I think, I think it's also important to say that all the pride and excitement that these guys generated with that that win against Ukraine, reaching the first World Cup in over 50 years. You know, they, they also had that segment, the interview with uh, Daffod Ewan before the game, Alison, and those scenes uh, when they qualified were remarkable. And so like, this, the disappointment of this campaign doesn't sweep all that from the memory. This, this has still been a massive step for, for Wales and Welsh football. And they had to play at or above their best have a chance and the, the thing is they have done in recent history which gave us all hope that they would do, it, do so again but they haven't come close this time and part of that is to do with we have to admit aging stars that are no longer the same force. It's almost as though by putting Wales first for so long maybe he wasn't quite in the form that he needed to be at this World Cup I mean you know if he'd maybe played more regularly in the last kind of couple of years maybe if he'd extended his career at one of the kind of 
top clubs that he probably was able to do if he'd really, really wanted to. He might have come into this tournament in, in, in better nick, you know, but ultimately, even a player of Bale's ability playing 25 times in the space of 18 months, in the end, proves that it's it, it's not quite enough in the, at the kind of real top end of football, even for a player like him. But I agree with the others, you know, it's, it, 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 I think ultimately, you know, in the cold light of day, once they, once we move on from this tour and people will remember Bale and, and the contribution he made to, to Wales is absolutely immense. Yeah, I tend to agree with you on that. Of course, I think what they've done has been absolutely incredible over the last decade or so. Uh, all of those four that I mentioned in a Welsh shirt, really the spine of the team, Wayne Hennessy as well, and that generation. But I, listen, I, I don't want to be overly critical, but I don't know what Rob Page was doing at certain times during this campaign. I hope that he learns a lot because, of course, he extended his contract recently. I think he sent a poor message to the young players in his squad. Like, I know they're not a Gareth Bale. They're not an Aaron Ramsey. They haven't had those careers. But I think he sent he sent a poor message out in terms of who Wales are that, you know, you don't want to send the message. We're just here to make up the numbers. And then, despite their incredible careers, you, you play a couple of players for far too many minutes in every game, even if you wanted to start them, that really weren't performing, that you, your other players had to carry. And I think that was a sad thing because... Rob Page now has to turn around to the players that he's left on the bench as the future of Welsh football and say, by the way, you need to get us to the next Euros now. You need to qualify us to the next Euros. All of those players, he sent a pretty clear message to that a Gareth Bale who touches the ball seven times in the first half is a player I would rather have. So, you know, for them... He's Gareth Bale, though, you. He's Gareth Bale. I know that. But if I'm a player in that squad, I feel every player, you've been there, feels like they should play. Right, Most players feel that. And you will not think that if Gareth Bale's playing well. You're going to be like, well, it's Gareth Bale, you know. But if Gareth Bale, I'm not even saying wasn't playing well, Gareth Bale could not run. I, so think, what, they, what message, I think they would still what, believe they would still believe that you might be A Gareth Bale that can't run, a Gareth Bale that cannot move around the pitch is better than a player that can't come on. That, that, again, the fact that you think this, you're sending the wrong message to all of Welsh football. This is my point. It's like, well, do you know what? When he retires, why don't you just call him up? He'll just play internationals. Doesn't even need a club team. Is that good? No, I said, what do you mean? Why are you laughing? I'm not even joking. Like, what message are you trying to send? Like, again, I, I love that. Again, we're forgetting, not, we're forgetting that he won a penalty not, and converted it. We're forgetting that he scored okay. the goal. It might have been deflected, but he scored the goal that got them here against Ukraine. But listen, I'm like, not, again, he still has I, been coming up with these moments and they hoped no, and wished and ho- dearly dreamt that he would do, do so again. And he's not. And it's the end now. So we've got to draw a line under it. I'm not slamming Bale. You understand that this is not a criticism of Bale. This is a criticism of Rob Page, who he sent a very. He as well. He dreamt that, uh, that that he might produce something as well. And he. No, but your job as the manager, you, you, you're not there to dream, my friend. You're watching your eleven <laughs> players out there on the pitch. Two of them cannot run. It's your job to manage the team. You can't just prioritise people based on their history. That's ridiculous. That's absolutely ridiculous. Call up David Beckham then. Do you know? What, well, I don't know what. What do you mean, Gregor? What you're implying here is Gareth Bell. It doesn't matter how he plays. No player should be in that position. No player should be in that position. He should have got hooked in the first game against Iran. Everyone else is doing is running for him, and you're waiting for a moment that will never come because you won't touch the ball if you're carrying two players, which is exactly what happened. All I'm saying is, I honestly feel. Rob Page did not put Wales first. He put the dream first. He put fantasy ahead of reality. 
And I think he probably cost them a half decent chance of going through. Like Wales were. It makes you. It makes. Fairly. It makes you. It does make you wonder. I agree. I agree with you to an extent, Hugh, because it does make you wonder what Rob Page saw in training. I mean, was he? Did he just put on a pair of rose-tinted glasses and see what he wanted to see? Because there was no evidence on the field that he was must have looked good in training, unless he was allowed not to train. I mean, it's, it, it is slightly ridiculous. Well, it's yeah. over now. Thanks, Alison. Appreciate it. So anyway, he's a legend, and he will always be a legend of world and Welsh football. But it wasn't to be at the end. All I'm saying is Rob Page needs to learn a lesson from this. Those young players need to be thrown in now, just like the Bells and the Ramseys of this world and the Allens of this world were thrown into that team, given plenty of time. There will be pain over the next few years. But those next generation of Welsh stars will have to learn. And ultimately, I think a couple of these World Cup matches, they could have learned a big, big lesson. Rob Page could have prioritised. The likes of Sorba Thomas could have played. Uh, Ruben Colwell could have played. Listen, I know it's a drop-off in quality. I know you're rolling your eyes. Brennan Johnson, he's a Premier League player. I don't think he got enough game time at this tournament. And he could be, he is, for Wales, I think, the next player to take up that mantle. He was underused, in my opinion, in this competition because the star name of Bale was prioritised ahead of reality. But I don't want to take anything away from Gareth Bale. We're just reacting to what we saw today not his entire career. And if he does retire sometime soon, then I'm sure we will. Anyway, Gregor Robertson, Alison Rudd, Tom Olnett, thank you very much uh, for being with me. Thank you to Paul Hurst and Tom Roddy for their contributions as well. And thank you all for listening. By the way, go right now to the Times app. You can see all the great reaction from the World Cup, including Henry Winter's match report, what he thinks about England after this group stage. Bill Edgar's got a great game in numbers uh, article up at the moment, which I'm sure will entertain you. Check it out. It's thetimes.co.uk forward slash the game. You can download the app wherever you get your apps from. And we will see you tomorrow. helps you control which apps you share your exact location with. There's more to iPhone.